0: All right, so should we get going, Adam? We, we've got a... Uh, let's this, do it. I, I know we've got another couple of folks that will, that will come in. Um, so uh, as you see um, our colleagues arrive, uh, let's definitely get them up on stage. But the... So just to... to uh, now, Adam, when had you heard about compliance as a thing? Uh, so EMC, the, 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 the... Electromagnetic compliance.
1: Yeah, so early, but I admit... I didn't know what all was involved. I knew that uh, you know we we were building this product, this rack scale computer. We were going to stick it in a thing, and we were going to hope it didn't turn into an antenna. This is the term that I kept on hearing the EEs tell us over and over again, like that it was going to interfere with their AM reception or what. But uh, that was the that was as deep as I understood it, and that was quite a while ago, maybe two years ago, if not more.
0: And then at the end of
1: it, at the end of it. We were going to get something that said it was fine, and that we could sell it.
0: <laughs> the, the executive summary, yes, uh, yeah, and I, so I think that this is one of these problems. I mean, obviously, you know, we're starting a computer company. We we know, and you talk to certainly any of the double E's we talked to early on would kind of shudder when they mentioned so EMC electromagnetic compatibility, the EMC compliance. Uh, they would kind of shudder, but with, without real – it was kind of nonspecific angst, and I remember hearing that from a bunch of folks. Do you remember what we did on the metal early on? Um, and we uh, – we, hence, some of the early folks that um, worked at Facebook in particular um, had described the way they kind of circumvented compliance and the way they avoided dealing with this problem. Um, I don't remember that. How, how, did, they, how did they circumvent it? Uh, did we – was that not on the record? Huh. <laughs> huh. huh. Was it, now was I'm wondering was if that was illegal? one of these things. Yeah, were was we not? Was it, did, you, did you
1: just unseal? Well, good yeah, job, Brian.
0: Yeah, well, you know, maybe we weren't supposed to talk about that. But so they the, – the story about Sweden <laughs> – is this ringing any bells? No? So Amir no, Michael, sorry, on. Amir. Okay, so uh, – uh, if we, well, the B-sides, here we are. On the middle, B-sides. So Amir described how in order, they, uh, Facebook needed to, they did not want to do this compatibility testing. I mean, for somewhat, for reasonable reasons. This is not nefarious in that we control the data centers. We're not, like, this is not a product. We control kind of both sides of this. And so we shouldn't need to, like these regulations just don't apply to us. And they did some things that were to, make sure the regulations uh, didn't apply to them. Like the motto to at Facebook, fair. right?
1: We control both sides of it and the regulations don't apply to us.
2: I'm pretty sure to be fair, is. there are some things you can't measure. And so the, the, it is allowed in the standard that you can do what's called site testing or you know, basically you bring an antenna out there and you measure your building to make sure your building is not turning into a megawatt
3: transmitter. Right, you, you, s- you, you build a big steel box and you put all the things in the big steel box. You're like, it's Con- fine.
2: Concrete's very effective as well. But right. it, it turns out that if you have a concrete
0: building with windows only up high, you're not going to measure anything because there won't be any. Right. Uh, and then so that, it's like, their model yeah. is kind of like, hey, this is the data center sized computer. Like the data center is the product. So yeah. like the, the building but is the But it's only product.
2: their product. They're not even selling it. Right.
0: So that's it, all this kind of this makes sense. I, this is sure. understandable. All these but, are you gray know, areas that are well defined. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you know, one of the things that I think, I think Eric, you and Arian in particular gave me real appreciation for is like, I mean, there are kind of two ways to view this. Like, you can view this as like, oh, this is this kind of regulatory body, and we got to adhere to all these regulations, and that's that's certainly true. But the spirit of it actually is really, really important. And Eric, I think it, I can't remember if it was you or Arian who had the line of like, if we did not have this regulatory compliance, if we did not, if people did not need to make sure that their emissions fell within these guidelines, nobody would do it because it's kind of, it's unseen effectively and nothing would work. You would walk into a room and you would have so much bizarre behavior in your life of like, oh, wow, like this appliance only works in this room and doesn't work in that room. And if you move this, this," and we already have enough of that with Wi-Fi, but it would be much, much worse if we, if everyone were just left to their own devices. Is that a fair summary?
2: absolutely and what's interesting is the the difference between the u.s and europe for instance Uh, the u.s does not require immunity testing for a lot of things and immunity testing is we're going to blast your product with a lot of rf and see if it does anything bad Uh, with bad meaning causes a hazard and one of those things could be like i make a i make an oven and the oven turns on when i get a phone call which is right. something that you can find videos of somebody oh, had a right. phone on their stove and it turned on when they oh, when they right. got a phone call And was like oh that's terrifying okay uh, yeah all, all this goes back to like you know back in the days of early radio and tv uh you had a lot of interference from random stuff uh like you turn on your blender and your tv would go on the fritz and then you had the the more famous incident on the, the uss forestall i believe uh where some basically some unmitigated uh immunity sensitivity caused some rockets to fire and uh the ship nearly sunk uh and a lot of people died and that's all because of the fact that things were not hardened against transients and shocks and you know if you've ever been anywhere that has actual winter and gets cold and dry you just you know that you need to just be touching something conductive all the time. Otherwise, you're just going to shock the hell out of yourself
0: every time you move. Oh, my God. That and is so, such a visceral. I, you know, Eric, I grew up in Denver, and, but have yeah. basically li- lived in a, in a more humid climate. for. But it, just the way you describe it, I immediately re Because, Adam, I'm not sure you've ever lived in an arid climate like that. Where, I mean, I used to, you get so zapped. I mean, you would walk across carpet and if you didn't, if you weren't careful, I mean, yes, you would get absolutely zapped. Um, So yeah, I mean, all this stuff is, uh, is really important. And, you know, again, you can kind of view it as, as unfortunate, but it really is the wrong way to view it. It's really necessary. And, it's part of of you know an engineer's responsibility to our kind of broader society to make sure that we all right i and i try to remind myself of that whenever we're having, <laughs> whenever we are having a thorny issue that we need to resolve as part of this so and aryan when you first joined the company too i mean obviously one of our earliest engineers and I, I i just remember you know as you you know cuz you're someone who kind of has been on both the software and the hardware side and just your descriptions of you know, the, these, these fields kind of traveling from one – they're kind of uh, traveling under advisement. Like they're not actually – with these things that we view as like wires, that's just kind of like advice. That's not necessarily where these things are going to travel, where these fields are actually going to be. Um, and these things are just super, super, super complicated. So I remember getting, so we, uh, as we were kind of growing the team and Eric, you and Nathaniel, and we had a couple of folks that had come from, uh, from the, the, the GE side and had done CTs and you had done compliance a lot on very big, high current, high voltage kind of things. And I think your line early on was, we will absolutely find things. They will be resolvable, but we will find things. Um, and, uh I, I maybe the the place to pick it up is with the pre-compliance that we did it all blurs together but i think that that was in i right, was that was that june i think it was june of 2020 yeah, second
4: second week of june or first week
0: yeah, of June. that was june in texas in texas so um the, so hot it, it was and the so we let's to, uh, maybe describe some of what we did like why do what, what does even pre-compliance even mean what what were we trying to, to yeah. the, 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 i mean the rack is basically come together for the very first time so what are we trying to find down there
2: so basically like there's all these theories and books and whatever you can read on how to design things to not you know become big violators of emc but the proofs in the pudding and all those books and examples are usually based on small devices that have fairly simple interconnects. And whenever you get into the real world and have to do large system integration, all that stuff just kind of goes out the window and it, everything conflicts each other. And you have to kind of make your best, your best guess of what
0: you're supposed to do. That'll so, this, well actually, yeah, so this is a really important point because a question that I think has come up, that came up certainly something I had, I think other people have had is like, Wow, can we really can we can't simulate this? And the answer is basically the, like, no, we can't,
2: can't. The the software companies want you to believe that they, they can simulate it, and they're like, well, look at this, you know, F thirty five simulation of this radome. It's like you can simulate all the emissions off this thing. It's like, well, sure, if you have an army of a thousand people and all you do for like seven years is put every possible detail of your system into this tool, and then spend you know a million dollars computing it sure you can simulate some
0: things it's still not going to be right like the, and in it, any kind just, of errant component can any i mean you get yeah, one of those details component
2: it. it could be yeah. a setting in your component it could be a batch a lot an undefined behavior i saw one where there were two equivalent parts that could be on a, a bill of materials for a board and one of them when you dead short it uh behaved fairly benignly and just kind of turned its output off The other one kept retrying, and that retrying happened to excite a resonance in the cable that was about 20 meters long, and it just (laughs) screamed an EMC. And so then some poor person had to go and rework, like, 300 of these boards to swap out the part, because that part had an undefined short-circuit behavior, which was safe, but, you know, it wasn't defined in terms of EMC performance, and so we, we found that randomly on a, on a visit to the chamber. We're like, oh, no, what's that? That's awful.
4: Okay, so in what is the chamber? It can be even worse. Like you, you, if, you're, if your supplier go, comes up with a micro... With a, if you basically get a, 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 a process node change where you go from a larger silicon process to a smaller silicon process, your edge rate of all your transistors is going to go up. And that by itself may just mean that uh stuff is going to start radiating
0: because right yeah and, you'll, you'll yeah. start getting worse effects from the same board well and, and this, it's just the whole idea that like oh yeah your your edges get sharper and as a result you actually are now resonating with this component that you weren't resonating with before And now this now you have this wholly cascading failure that is actually there's much more energy involved than just the energy of the part which is crazy just because the system is so complicated so what is the chamber let's describe the so, the chamber a little bit for for any
2: star trek fans out there the chamber looks like a holodeck uh and that's that's a side effect of something inside of it but basically it's a giant steel box and then it has ferrite which is a the material that conducts rf energy fairly well but is absorbent it, it turns it into heat and then you have this foam on top of that. So it's a steel box and then it's lined with these ferrite tiles, which are, you know, maybe 100 millimeters aside. Those are all glued to the entire inside surface of this thing. And then inside of that, you have these like pointy or wedge shaped or some other funky shape carbonized foam. And the carbonized foam is also an EMI, you know, EMC, EMI, RF, whatever term you want, absorber where radio frequencies will go into it and they will turn into heat. So the whole point of this is to create what's called an anechoic chamber or a semi-anechoic chamber, so a SAC. So a SAC is sometimes an an acronym that you'll hear uh, EMC chambers called, and SAC just means semi-anechoic chamber. So that means five walls of the box are lined with this ferrite foam stuff, and then the bottom is just straight steel, and the steel can reflect uh, radio waves. And so basically, the whole point of this chamber is to simulate the conditions of this device that they're testing being out in the middle of space and not having anything around it. So it shields both your device from all external fields, so like the the radio transmitter tower that's right down the road or the FM station or the cell tower, and also shields your noise that you're creating uh, from getting out of the room. And so the whole point of this is to measure measure your device in isolation in a perfectly quiet, quote-unquote, electrically quiet room, and then measure the very small signals that come off of your device against a a standard, using
0: an antenna and a turntable, essentially. yeah, and so that highlights mean, a bunch of things. So one is that this is – so on the one hand, this is simulating – we're trying to keep it quiet around this device so we can understand what this device is actually emitting. It does mean that in principle, you could t- have two devices that you could combine in ways that could kind of positively reinforce one another. But it's the, – the, part of the, the, the purpose – I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, but it's like the, the purpose of the standard is like to – minimize the odds of that not to make that impossible it's not going to be you you can't make that impossible but we're yeah it's a game of statistics
2: basically the the whole standard is trying to make it statistically improbable that a combination of arbitrary things in some space is going to cause a
0: problem to something else right and uh adam if you ever go into one of these chambers as as people will tell you as you walk in do not bring your cell phone in um, because your phone will search for signal and it will not find anything, so your phone will begin to actually drain a lot of battery as it's aggressively not finding. It. it thinks that you're in space, um, yeah. and
2: it'll turn up its output power until it's maxed out, and it'll just sit there and happily drain your battery in an hour. Fantastic.
1: And in this picture, Arion, that you posted, was that from the pre-compliance or that that was from the actual uh, real deal compliance?
4: Yeah, that is the run from, uh, what is it, two weeks ago? Okay.
1: Yeah, that's the real deal That is well, the
4: actual chamber that we were in for the past couple of weeks. And,
1: and so what did, what, what did the Texas, yeah, what did, what did the Texas experiment show I'm, us? What, what did it look like? It was a little raw. <laughs> like, cowboy chamber? What are we, How raw are we talking? Yes. No uh, chamber. Wild,
2: wild West, um, no chamber. It was an open air, basically. We were in a back room. Uh, which is like the loading dock because the chamber was too small. Yeah, you know, these these are the things you deal with when you have short time and, uh, you know, just need to get in there. And so we had uh, basically our rack sitting in a loading dock with, you know, nobody, quote, around it. And then we
0: just manually <laughs> moved an antenna around it. Yeah, Was this it, useful? Yeah. Did, did we learn that, stuff from it? Yes, yeah. this was extremely yeah. useful. Yeah, I was just going to say, so this is a. this was extremely useful. And I mean, for so many different reasons. One, I felt it was just like useful for people like me to just to get education about what this whole thing is and what's involved here. And, but for us, it was extremely useful. Uh, One, we, we learned some very concrete things we want to get into. And then, but we also, you know, we're also having to bring the whole thing together and just the process of, I mean, in many ways, like, our first customer was in this loading dock in Texas. Um, and we learned a lot. I, I think we learned, Eric, RFK, Arian, I think it's fair to say that we learned that we did not want to have to bore holes in the actual product in order to be able to communicate with it. I feel that that was one of our, our big takeaways. That was, yeah, a, that was a good takeaway. Uh,
2: it, it's funny because wherever I've been, early EMC testing was always like a very big rally point for software integration because that was kind of generally the first time where, like, everything had to be working together and be in the hands of non-experts. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and And it's... it's, it's, A lot of of, of stuff gets figured out. (laughs) A lot of stuff gets figured out. And, I mean, in in pre-compliance, it was great because we figured out a lot of stuff that we had to go do, a bunch of stuff that we knew about, and a bunch of stuff that we... You know, there's also the stuff that you know about, but the priority becomes much higher in your mind after and you know we had designed this thing with the the technician port and the ability to access this thing via the technician port it was going to be a lot of work to be able to go do that but coming out of that compliance like we've got to you know obviously prioritize that work and and a bunch of folks matt keeter and and aaron and 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 a bunch of folks that did terrific work ben nacker on getting all that 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 kind of that whole connection made and being able to it it was just we learned a lot in pre-compliance just from a product perspective software perspective but then eric we learned something actually really important from an emissions perspective as well
2: yeah so we initially found that we were doing both radiated and conducted and radiated is basically put an antenna nearby and see what you measure conducted is put a clamp around basically a current transformer around your power cables or any other cables that come off your device and see if there's electromagnetic energy on those and so we saw some on conducted emissions and we were using uh, an off-the-shelf power shelf essentially uh, with rectifiers that was uh that was basically unmodified by us and we're like uh this is weird what's happening and so we asked the the vendor who makes that um like hey uh, do you have some test reports you could send us cuz we saw something that would cause us to fail and if you have to do conducted emissions mitigations radiated emissions is not as nasty because generally the 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 physical modifications are small conducted emissions means you have to put some you know basically cinder block sized thing of filtering on your
0: power cable and huh. it gets very scary
2: just and our, you know, said that we, lead time
0: we, 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 our lead time so these are rectifiers these are Marauder rectifiers mm-hmm. we had, uh, had had actually some supply chain issues and I uh, and I don't really remember if, if, I, if I told you this story or not but we, there was a moment where we are like oh god, it's going to be the lead time on rectifiers is so long, like how hard can it be to do our own rectifier? And Eric, I just remember you being like, listen, I would like everyone who would like to build their own rectifier to, to come over here, please. I'm like, oh God, we're going to learn how to build our own rectifier. And you were just like, I am now going to sit you down and explain why you will never again say we should build our own rectifier. I'm going to explain to you how complicated a rectifier is. Because the question of like, how complicated can a rectifier be? I felt you gave some good answers to that. The answer is exceedingly, extremely, extremely complicated. And I mean, you think it's like, you know the, the the most basic elements are so, still so fiendishly complicated, and I think we decided that it was a lot easier to help them get the fet that they needed or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, it was uh,
2: like a like a rectifier, like a, a world-class server rectifier, is basically like a three-dimensional puzzle filled with complex hand, you know, handmade, hand-designed, like custom components. And all those components are made by a bunch of different suppliers, and they're all very manual in that there's, like, wires wound, and there's special shapes of ferrites, and there's all these, like, mechanical and magnetic bits that fit together like this big puzzle. And then you have to also make it uh, EMC compliant, so there's filtering inside of them. And then you also have to make them cheap. And,
0: yeah. Oh, wow, right. And and efficiency, too, right? I mean, efficiency is super important. Yes,
2: extremely efficient. So these these things are, like, insanely efficient. And it, (laughs) I I hopefully drove the point home that we will not be making our own rectifier anytime soon.
0: Oh, you drove that. You definitely made us smoke the whole pack. I mean, I definitely was like... Yeah,
2: you're you're going to light all these cigarettes, and you're going to just start dragging on them.
0: (laughs) Right. No, can't wait. I I don't care if you call them. Keep
2: sucking. Let's go. Right. Well, And and... Yeah. So we, so we called Murata. We're like, okay, what, what, what are we doing wrong here? Like, you, you obviously, they have to pass their own emissions. So they're certified independently, whatever. And so they sent us a bunch of test reports from, you know, a bunch of different test houses, TUV and Intertech and UL and all these other places. And so I've, I've been on the receiving end of a lot of these reports from sub tier, you know, vendors, uh, at my time at GE. And many of them are just kind of like, Oh, yeah, that's how you tested it. Yeah, okay, that's going to make you look a lot better. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I've I've been on the receiving end of really crappy reports, where they quote, tested it, and it's like, yeah, sure, if it's like this perfect ideal setup, yes, and you have tiny, tiny cables, or whatever. And just poor measurement techniques, or whatever, where it's technically compliant, but they weren't exactly doing their due diligence. The reports I saw from Murata were just phenomenal. Like, everything was beautifully set up as it would be in a rack the thing was in a like rack style chassis that was sitting on the floor like a rack it wasn't just you know sitting on some foam and you know perfectly like whatever no it's like no there's stuff on here there's things that would radiate there's all kinds of stuff and i saw their data on it and it's like okay yeah their data doesn't look anything like ours and then i started looking at the uh the frequencies that they're showing up. Cause you always see some stuff from the switching power supplies in these things, even if you're well below the limit and none of those frequencies lined up with any of ours. And
0: so basically the conclusion was, yeah, there was something wrong with that test. Oh, interesting. Right. Cause I think, I mean, we, we were looking at how we were grounding at the chassis at one point, but you felt that the, the, the ultimate conclusion of that was just like the test was, I mean, the test was garbage. <laughs> no.
2: It was, it was a, it was an oopsie, And it, it's hard to do those kinds of tests because yeah. they do pick up a lot of extraneous crap especially in open air test chambers. And so it's, it's very hard to do that. And we were, I think that was late at night and we were kind of rushing. And so I, I don't particularly blame the test house on that one. It's more of just a, a side effect of we weren't paying enough of attention to say this is right or wrong or otherwise.
0: But very valuable for us to go in and just even getting their test results and understanding it. I mean, because that was not really something in hindsight we should have, but was not something we were looking closely at when we were kind of evaluating the, the these various rectifier folks but, right because uh, they're,
2: they're supposed to meet the standard, but it turns right. out they have to meet the same standard our
0: whole rack has to meet so, <laughs> so and so this is also a really important point in that I'm, I'm not sure this is definitely something that was uh, not necessarily obvious to me, but the that you the i mean it should be obvious, I guess that if you take a bunch of things that are themselves FCC compliant and comply with the relevant regulation, and you put them together, the thing that you have doesn't necessarily comply. Like it's okay. actually pretty easy for that to happen. Yes. It's almost guaranteed. Uh, right. Almost <laughs> guaranteed. <laughs> you you so, have to
2: meet a higher standard at a system integrator level than the subcomponents have to meet. Right. Because all this
0: stuff also adds up. So you can have exactly. something that's just like, well, yeah, if you had one of these things, it's actually not a problem but you have six or you have 32 or you have four. You, and because you've actually added up the actual energy that these things are emitting at this particular frequency, yes, now you're no longer compliant. And sorry for you. <laughs> so uh, definitely. So yeah, Adam, to answer your question, that was, I thought the pre-compliance, I mean, RFK, Arian, you guys were also there. I felt it was, it was hugely valuable. We, we learned just a lot about the product and a lot about what we needed to go do.
4: It mostly exposed how not ready we were for it, which was, you know, the wake-up call we needed. And we vowed that we wouldn't be so unprepared going into the chamber the next time. And yeah. dare I say You have to sensitize we better,
2: people to that. It's hard to do that with words. Yeah, it we is. were
4: a little bit better prepared. When, like uh, Not too, like, I won't give us too much credit, but we were a little bit better prepared. Just, you know, a hair.
1: Yeah, move I think... Though, before we move on, yeah. Brian, you said we learned... Not to bore a hole in the product to, to yes. wire things up? Did we learn that the
0: hard way or the easy way? Oh, no, for sure the hard way. I mean, like, sorry. I mean, it obviously. <laughs> Why did we.? Bo- who, who, okay. No, because <laughs> we, we, we had we to run with out. all the
4: dongles in. We, we, had, we, had, to, uh, yeah, we had no way to adapters. control the thing. We had all the debug adapters attached to all the systems. So we had to drill holes into the chassis so you even get these cables out. You got nice. to turn it on,
0: right? Makes sense. I mean, you have to, like, when we put the sleds into the rack, there's a, a degree to which we've launched this thing into space, you know, and we, the, the things that we are used to dealing with on a bench, we don't have anymore, unless you want to drill a hole in the front of the uh, 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 the sidecar, which is what we had to do, because we, and we, it's not that we hadn't thought about this problem, it's just that, to Arian's point about, like, with the stuff that we still had to build, there was a, and the the, the connection from the technician port, into a into a gimlet or a sidecar into a compute sled or, or a network switch i mean it is a crazily complicated path that involved i mean we, it's not like we were close to having networking there was a lot of stuff that had to be built now we, no. we did a terrific job building it over the next you know whatever it was six weeks but right? it was a lot of stuff that needed to be built
1: for folks yeah, who haven't seen the sled uh there's no like usb or kvm or a- any of this baloney right. it's like U.2 is out the front and out the back is blind mated power and in like in Ethernet, like 200 gigabit, gigabit Ethernet. Ethernet. And, yeah. and that is it. So there's no, there's no, none, none of the goober ports that you have on your standard server. And, and right. the
4: Ethernet is in a non standard form factor. So it's really not usable in any way, <laughs> shape, or form other than connecting to our exact, our, like, exact switch. And, and your you laptop doesn't have a 100 gig Ethernet port.
3: Yeah, and this is all plugged into like a fully integrated backplane. So like, you, you've got anything on the front, and there's nothing on the front, and that's it.
2: Yeah, and it, now that we built up the infrastructure, it's like that's not really a problem. But back then, that was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> was
0: a problem that could be solved with a drill, and that's what yeah. we ended up doing. And the and just I get I just remember I mean. Uh, just learning a lot. RFK, you know, I was sitting there. I just we're sitting in that like the the kind of the fold up table in this garage, basically learning. Like we've got a lot of work we need to go do to make this thing actually. Oh basically.
3: yeah,
0: I mean the taking other thing
3: that to boot
0: was like the oh, real
3: yeah. real grinding, you know, very visceral. Like I'm sitting here waiting, watching, watching it boot, and it's yeah. just. Taking forever. You mess up once. Oh well, here you go. Take a lap.
2: Weren't we weren't we loading a, like the boot ROM out over like hundred and
3: fifteen K You This is where we figured oh, out that X could image? be changed, and that was great. <laughs> <laughs> that changed a lot. That that you know, we went from oh, like okay. thirty minutes to like, you know, fifteen. Yeah. Which is a big deal.
2: So the, the the one thing I will say for pre-compliance testing is it showed us that we weren't screaming our heads off. So the the real thing that I wanted to check like going into that was that we didn't have anything that was basically visible or off the charts in pre-compliance, because if it's off the charts in pre-compliance with one sled or two sleds or even three sleds and one sidecar, which is our network switch, it isn't going to get any better when we have 32 sleds and two sidecars. Right, yeah. And so what that did is it told us that, hey, okay, we aren't completely out of... Like out of bed in terms of being able to get this done. And we don't have like major redesign to do before we get this. Uh there, there are some things we found that we want to improve, obviously, but it's those were found later because they were basically so hard to see at that point that you know
0: they were not visible in the noise. Right. And and I think, you know, this is whenever you're solving a kind of big hard systems level problem, you do want to get to that things that are potentially unbounded risk you want to get to as quickly as you can. I don't, and I don't, think, I don't think we could have done pre-compliance any earlier than we did. I think there was plenty of blood on the floor as there was. Uh, but I thought, so it was really valuable for that to, and to understand like, okay, we don't, we're, we've got a lot of work to do, but we're, it's, there, there is nothing that we have got that is obviously a disqualifying from a compliance perspective, I think is the conclusion coming out of that so that's what we thought that's what we thought right exactly well and then so but it was also just also just very educational and interesting i mean adam watching this debugging process is super interesting and you know rfk you know you've come you you know kind of came up as an rf engineer so this is i kind of felt like you were just like welcome to like this is my land like i know i this is they feel all
3: good you know you're (laughs) all warm and fuzzy for a little bit and then they're like go back to designing you know differential signaling and you're know, like oh
0: feel, feel my pain right go back i know i, I think you get you know send you back to you know i squared c translators or whatever you're just like no actually like this is this is right like to be like the with the antennas in this chamber kind of figuring out what's emitting what so it's fun we, it, it was really neat and it's like these also out of the like these these test facilities and particularly that one which was definitely felt like a like a haunted test facility. I mean, there's just like all of these kind of cadavers of various large equipment kind of lying around. I mean, it's definitely, uh, I feel like a Scooby-Doo mystery should be had in, in a, in the chamber for sure. Um,
5: was the control room
0: also isolated
5: like a Faraday cage?
2: Uh, so it depends on the chamber. So one of the chambers we were in, it is not though. The chamber that I used to work in was not, um, it, doesn't have to doesn't have to be because everything's shielded and pretty well quiet anyway. Right. Uh so it's just the you have big filters to get stuff in and out of the chamber. But uh the one that we were most recently at does have the, the control room in and like a little antechamber that is also a Faraday cage, which makes it more obnoxious to that was be able super to super <laughs> that. Yeah. Was very like, oh I can't take notes on this because all my stuff is disconnected. Great.
3: And I mean it has like I mean, sometimes it's important for that kind of thing, like where you do get some, like, stray signaling, um, but, like, you kind of don't need that. No. If it, you, especially if you got The only way I've seen that is if you have crappy cables. Yeah, that, that's, like, that's where you would get stuff that would come through. Like, we were running, there's, you know, Ethernet that runs all the way under the floor of the first chamber, and it comes out of a certain port in the second chamber, and the <laughs> barrier for that port had been dislodged from the floor, so it was rendered basically useless. And so, okay, well, now, like, anything could, like, potentially come through there, and it's like, all right, well, we got the second chamber, and you close that door, and you're like, okay, well, we're really solid now. Nothing's gonna just sort of get in. And we, there were some random things that we saw, like, once or twice when we didn't shut that door, but generally, you don't need to do that. Yeah, if the
0: chamber done right, shouldn't need us. I do think And as some folks are saying in the chat before leaving austin uh we we really do need to mention the barbecue um so uh, cj mendez is on the oxide team um who's played an instrumental role in a lot of the 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 logistics and operations of of this compliance cj uh lives in austin and boy did he hook us up with the franklin's is kind of the canonical barbecue in, in austin adam and uh Boy, it's uh, it's canonical for a reason. That, that that brisket was just absolutely something else. That was well, yeah. really, well, it divides
4: really. Austin into two camps because there's another place that is like half of Austin says Franklin's and the other half says the other place.
0: But and I think that, I mean I think they're both right. I think I, they, yeah, they, I don't they, care. They're both I will take them both anyway. That it was it was really 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 good. I kind of feel like it was a little bit of like a Pepe's moment for me. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Bring it back to David. Yeah, going to New Haven and being like, people have been people, Adam, has been so insufferable about this pizza that I really don't want. Oh, damn it. This pizza's really, really good. Pizza's actually, damn it, every bit as good as Adam has been saying for the last two decades. There you go. Um, but and, uh, as it is with Austin awesome Barbecue. That was great. Barbecue was terrific. Um, and same, we, we left pre-compliance with uh, this Marotta thing, to chase down. And, and Eric mentioned that. We got that kind of chase down. And then a whole bunch of work that we needed to go. We knew we had to go do not just from a compliance perspective, but just to get the whole product together. And, and the Team Roy really did a terrific job. And so fast forward to December. Does it feel, feels like feels like it was several years from June to December, but I guess it was only a couple of months. Uh, it really does not feel that. Anyway, the, the time and space have been distorted. So then we were uh, frenetically getting ready for a... Uh, a our compliance run, trying to get in. And so it, it, it's worth mentioning too, Eric, that these chambers, th- like you have to book them a while in advance. These things are a finite resource. And I, this is not like a Wendy's, you know, you've got to actually, you've you got to book these things long in advance and people do cancel and you can kind of get last minute stuff, but it's a scramble to, I uh, you can't kind of negotiate your date generally that much. Um, not, anyways, I, I wonder if it's chamber, right?
2: It's the people three shifts. as well. It's both. Yeah. They, they, it, they don't, yeah. People don't usually run three shifts. They'll run three shifts if things go long and people are willing to stay. Uh, but it, like a G when, whenever the the chamber schedule would open for the next like quarter or two quarters, it would be filled within a day. With people like staking their claim on it, and then yeah. there was all this horse trading and threatening to go to upper management to get priority because we had oh, our own chambers. Geez. Oh, there's this whole political like charades and just this, all this chess maneuvering to uh, get chamber time. Uh, but it, it is a very like precious resource, and these chambers are exceedingly expensive. And so, being the, you know, being that we're like operating on short timetables, uh, makes it a lot harder, but being flexible, uh, thanks to the, the folks in Emeryville, uh, and saying, listen, you tell us when to be there and we'll get in gives you a lot more, uh, a lot more leverage to get into somewhere because you can adapt to people canceling.
0: Yeah. And so we were pushing hard for this December date and, uh, and it, we, that team did, I mean, it, 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 Eric, you said this earlier, this is kind of a, these compliance runs tend to be big rallying points, a huge rallying point for us um, pulling together a bunch of different hardware and software. Uh, we, I feel like the, even though it's not related to the compliance per se, I do feel that it's worth talking about one of the mishaps we had on the way where we discovered that the, the shark fin, which is what connects the, our, our drives in the front, the U.2 drives, have, they've got a, a U.2 connector. That's connected to a PCI connector, and the, the shark fin kind of mounts vertically in there. And Josh, I think you were the one who initially tripped over this issue. If, if Yeah, at like, at like 3 in the morning. Right. So what were the symptoms of this issue, as you recall?
5: Uh, it didn't work at all, but the lights came on funny, and then they went off funny. And I was sitting there like, well, that's funny. These little I don't think it should come on and then kind of fade out like that. That's not good.
0: That's not good. And so and nothing worked at all. Nothing worked at all. And there – you know, Josh is the one who's kind of been pulling this together from a hardware and software perspective. You know, you kind of hope like, well maybe I've maybe I've done something wrong. I don't know. It doesn't feel like I've done something wrong, but maybe Maybe there's hopefully there's some pilot error to be blamed here, but as it turns out, no. You'd done everything correctly. You just been you had encountered a, a um, an issue that RFK, I think you debugged that next morning. Um, that, between, I don't no longer remember.
3: Oh, this is the part. Yes, Yeah, I remember now. Uh, well, yeah. and, it, it, so
0: I'm by
2: looking at two of them under a microscope, I brought him yeah. one of the new ones, and he was looking at one of the old ones, and just like doing the the dead stupid, like, all right, I'm just going to look at every one of these parts and see if they look the same. And he noticed that one was different.
3: Well, they just would Yeah, they're like a SOT6, right? They're, you know, or SYC5. I can't remember. But anyway, they all look the same, and they've all got very similar part numbering. um, And our manufacturer just, uh, you know, decided to load the wrong reel. Made a mistake. Right yeah, and, look, uh, same same and size
5: part
2: though. Yep, I mean totally. You
5: know, it looks the same, basically identical.
2: Even basically, right? Just
5: yes. the
3: wrong logic function. And your the wrong AOI logic won't catch it. Your AOI won't catch it because they'll train on the bad one, and it's then they crazy. go look at all the, ba- the the next ones they build. and They're like, "These are fine." No, they're not. That's, they're the, part I mean, that, that's they're the part that that's the part that
5: really feels like a huge process problem to me. It's Like, why don't
2: you it's... look at the text that you read in the? Wow, they do. No, they do. They do look at the text. There's no like database of like this part has this text on it and blah, blah, blah. It, even if they had that, they would look at it based on the real because sometimes parts are marked differently depending on the manufacturing site they come from or whatever. And so the, the typical way of doing this is they, for prototypes, is it's the min for max, it's the minimum amount of effort for maximum amount of benefit is they will train it on the first one and then check all the rest of them are the same. And so the question, which is of course whether, they were, which they right. were, yes, good news. Uh, which, <laughs> if they had to right. change reels halfway through, they would have found, hey, these are different than they would have found it. And in production, you would train it on it, and you would see, oh, these are different, you know, because you'd have a golden board that they can train on, because it makes it
0: a lot, lot, lot less labor intensive to do that. But our assumption was not they've stuffed the wrong part. Our, I mean, the assumption yeah. is, I mean, there's so much. We had the wrong bomb call-out or something. Wrong bomb. Yeah. Wrong yeah. The layout change. I mean, this is where we talk about the Eye of Sauron kind of whipping around, and everyone's like going to their own part of the system to understand, like, wait a minute, what, what's, because we knew quickly that the, we determined quickly that the Rev-C of this particular part worked, and it's the Rev-D that didn't, but there hadn't been meaningful changes in Rev-D. And anyway, it was the thing that was remarkable to me. Anyway, was and just what you get, we get kind of undivided attention from such a broad, diverse, and deeply talented group of folks. We got that thing debugged really, really quickly as a team. So that was within like. You know, 90 minutes. We knew exactly what had happened. And Eric, you say you took Nathaniel got these things under the microscope. Actually saw like, wait a minute, this is the wrong part. Fortunately, we got also. We it should be said we got lucky. It kind of that's the part that that was that was the part of the board Nathaniel was starting on. So he had like the second part. He's like, this one's wrong. Um, And then we had to take all of we had to disassemble all of these racks. So all of the racks had to be disassembled. All of the shark fins had to come out. They all had to go back for rework.
1: And by all, it, it was like 500-odd, something like that?
0: Uh, I think we had... I want to say like 1,100, wasn't it? It was, oh, Well, it, no, but we, uh, we only sent back like
5: six something 600-something, I think.
0: I guess that's right. Right. Okay, you're right. I guess the, 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 there were a couple... But it was... Uh, it, Which is it, still, it, to be fair, it's a lot. It's a
5: lot. It's a lot. It is a lot. And did not did not regret putting scannable barcodes on them.
0: like Okay, yeah, so Josh, this like, is actually a really good point because this is something, so every Fru that we have in the system, every field replaceable unit, we have got a barcode on there. We They're all being scanned in the manufacturer. They're all going into a database. And we had kind of, Josh, you had pulled that software together like kind of moments before this stuff had. And I remember us debating like, is it worth scanning these or not? Um, and, yeah, do you want to talk through that a little bit? Because that was a that was a huge win, I think.
5: Yeah, I mean, we just... So we have manufacturing workstations that sit on the line that can scan uh, barcodes. So we, we have them do that, and then they get programmed into the ROMs that sit on the cards and so on um, so that the cards can be self-identifying. And uh, just as an inventory thing, because it's like we're going to send back hundreds of these things and we have no idea if we don't scan and log each one that we send out and also each one that we receive, then there's really no way to know <laughs> like where most of the stock is now that they've come out of the servers that they shipped here in. It's just a lot of parts. And also we had, if you recall, 20 or 30 of them that I think were not programmed correctly. We right. wanted to yeah. quarantine those on the way back in for inspection. It's just much easier if you have uh a barcode printed on the thing and also like a cheap and easy barcode
0: reading station and it was that this is another one of these things where it's like you know i, I don't think anyone ha- you know has doubted at the time why this is important but we got we're getting an early visceral rea- visceral uh, uh expression of why this is so important so uh and that was actually i mean i Personally, enjoy it. Was a definitely a barn raising. I know Adam, you were in here, a bunch of folks were in here actually. I like, mean,
1: you're you're, I mean, can we talk about our child labor
0: practice? Yeah, absolutely. The child labor was, uh, was load bearing here.
1: Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah so you, we you, had had, the, you had the
1: whole clan in, right? I had the whole clan in, Steve, I had the, too.
0: The, the, they, the kids were in there, your, and your children, so it's okay, legal, exactly. Yes, thank you, Josh. Josh is Adam refuses to be my lawyer, but Josh is with me. <laughs> it's
3: like working uh, on yeah. the
0: farm. Exactly. It's like working on the farm. Uh, actually, i i I really liked it. actually, i I thought it was great for the kids to kind of get that physical feeling of like, hey, this is what we're actually doing. and i they really enjoyed it. It was so anyway, that was fun. but we were all doing this to get us ready for compliance. everyone is scrambling hard to get, and we ama- amazingly, when the shark fin thing happened, we're like, there's like compliance is off. There's just no way we can do it. But through this, like you know, we work sixteen different miracles. We pull it off. We're ready for compliance. We are. We're, we're. We are, or getting there, and we are ready to power on the rack for the first time. And Josh, you were in the room, I believe, when we we threw the switch. Uh, yeah, I took the video of what's it, what you're about to describe. <laughs> right. So yeah, what uh, what happened? I was I had I was traveling for a conference, but I got so I, I got the, the the immediate after action on this one. I was not in the room when it happened, but uh, yeah, yeah
5: we did. I mean we so we turned we had fully populated the rack, and we turned it on at the wall, and almost half
0: of it did not uh, clear the runway. There were no lights. It was not good. If you say not clear the runway, you really mean a fire at the end of the runway that includes yeah. 14 of the gimlets. Yes. They collided with the seawall. It was not good. It was not good. Uh it was very bad. So we had so 14 of the gimlets. Um, and actually, it was also one of these moments where it's like it's uh totally clarifying because there's no question about what happens next. I um Com- compliance is canceled. Compliance is <laughs> canceled. Well, no, it because I mean this look, I you know, I when my now 15-year-old was four. And he was walking along a concrete planter at a store and tripped and fell backwards. I thought he cracked his skull, but he'd actually broken his arm very badly, he'd broken his arm very cleanly, I should say. His arm was in, his arm had a giant S curve in it. And it, as a parent, it was enormously clarifying because it was not like, oh, do I call the advice nurse or. You know, Do I call my wife or what do I do? It's like, I we get in the car and we go to the emergency <laughs> to the, room. The Here hospital. we go, that's it. And that's and I feel like this was this is like, okay, that we know exactly what's going on. We are not going to do compliance, compliance is not going to happen on Monday, it can't because we don't know what just happened and uh, we need to figure out what happened. And we've got some hunches, and we'll, we'll kind of describe some of those hunches briefly. But the we the, uh, the well, I, I can tell you that what we do know is that we, Eric and Team, Nathaniel and Aaron and RFK, were all out here that next week. And Eric, how many power cycles did you guys do of the rack? I mean, a, a uh, lot. 20, of power 50, cycles. 150. 150.
2: It was a lot, and we were power cycling it as abusively as possible because there were many theories between, like, okay, well, what if the phase connected first before ground? Because this is it literally, you know, we saw this when. Somebody plugged the big, like, twist-lock connector, you know, three-phase twist-lock connector into the wall in the other room, because, yeah.
6: Yeah. Aaron Aaron and I I personally executed at least 200 cycles that way. There you go. Oh, yeah, and I, I, mean, I should
1: have taken of, a... ...of time in the fridge, so... I, mean, I a X- photo X- Executed cycles, X- cycles is such a, a fancy way of describing what I saw, which was one of you <laughs> sitting in one room, yanking the power cord out, and the other one sitting in the other room, watching it, and pushing a button on your phone to update a counter, like a umpire calling balls and strikes. Okay. Uh, balls I and think it was, it it was
2: not interesting. <laughs> and the person in the room was <laughs> just counting hurt. in their head... Like okay one two three yeah. four five
0: okay well, plug it in well, and, it and try and plug and we, it in abusively. Well, that's it. We didn't start aggressively because we did not know what had happened, and in particular, no. we did not know if we power this thing down and power it up, are the other begin what's going to blow? Um, are we? So there was like the first couple of days is being super ginger trying to understand everything. RFK had very quickly determined and pulled the sleds out, and very quickly determined that we had blown the FPGA that does the initial. Power sequencing, the the, the the not even the sequencer, but the thing called ignition that uh, Arian that you developed, we knew we had blown that. We did not know why, and we and this is still a problem that we're causing. We've never seen it again. Um, it, the uh, our current hypothesis is, and we've got a bunch of uh, we can we, we don't need to go into too much. We can go into kind of arbitrary detail on this, but we don't. We, uh, suffice it to say, we spent a lot of time on this problem. But our current hypothesis is that these things were actually blown on the bench, that when we programmed them on the bench, we uh, we they got blown out on the bench. So when we actually loaded them in, they were dead before we initially powered it on. Um and we've, as you one can imagine, we've made a bunch of process changes to make sure that if this does happen again, we're gonna get a lot more information. And we're meanwhile, we're having the, the chips themselves, uh, we're having them decapped um so we can understand the actual damage to the FPGAs themselves. We have 14 of them. So we've got I think actually those just showed up today. So we've got someone who's going to be decapping those and looking at those chips. So we've got a whole bunch of stuff to, to, that we went to go explore there. But importantly, one, we, uh, we haven't seen it again. But secondly, and, and Eric kind of reminds me of the Murata thing, where it's like, I, on the one hand, there wasn't anything that was due to, to the testing environment. On the other hand, we learned a lot about Murata by going into their there information we learned a lot about how these things power on by doing it again and again and again and and adam there i would say that there was a little bit more art than you implied in that eric was doing things deliberately to make these things not power on cleanly so to, he, he was trying to actually by the end of the week they're trying to break it and they're unable to to so, so the yeah. untrained eye it looked like he was yanking the power cord yeah <laughs> well, yeah.
2: yeah it was I would get there and, like, put the thing in just barely and as cockeyed as it would let me without bending the pins <laughs> and, like, slowly wiggle it in until I started hearing arcing and then I'd let it sit there for a second, wiggling a little more. And then I'd start moving it in a little more to power up the rest of it. It was, it was trying to be the most abusive thing I could possibly think of and nothing killed it. We even intentionally disconnected ground and cycled that a few times. I didn't do anything. It's like. It's. It's infuriating when you can't cause a problem to happen again, but it it's is. also good because we power cycled the heck out of it, and it was it never had a problem. So we're like, well,
0: okay, I guess well, it's not power cycling. <laughs> yeah, and and we, we and in particular, we believe that we don't have a design issue on the no. actual bus bar, the rack. I mean, it it, it would have been in many ways would have been satisfying to reproduce it. It would also have been horrifying because it could have been uh, really I, it could have been a major setback. So anyway, that we. We get through that. We the fact that that compliance had been and and this is where uh, just some heroic work by CJ was able to book a uh, time for a chamber in um, what second week of January, right? So we were going in in what January seventh or something like that, um, which was uh, I was terrific that he'd managed to to pull that off. Um, we had uh everyone here to kind of th- there's a lot of software work that still need to be done josh you were doing a ton of work to actually allow us because now it, the certainly the concern that that we all had is one if we were to see this kind of problem again we want to have information on it but also just in general if the rack when the rack misbehaved we wanted to make sure that we were going to be able to actually understand what was going on so we had a lot of stuff we needed to go build and get integrated um and that was a real uh real load to get all that stuff put together um and Josh, I know you built a lot of software to, to uh, software that we will then use in the manufacturing line and uh helping to flesh out parts of the product for sure.
6: And and already hours
0: before pickup. Hours, full hours, full hours, I'll have you know. Pickup was scheduled for six AM on Monday. And we were I mean, that thing we, that we, we were out of there by, by, two. by two.
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Pickup was scheduled on Friday.
0: Pickup was technically scheduled on Friday, and we, we may learned, have moved or, it a few times. We may have moved it a couple Steve, of times. We Steve
5: definitely was like, "So, how when do you think we'll be ready?" Like an hour, two hours, and I'm like, 72 hours." Okay. Like, oh, oh, oh dear, Monday then, I guess.
0: Monday. Well,
2: truck company
5: and
0: have and, that move. and and this is one of these things where it's like we have the chamber starting at like kind of nine, um, and you so like. You know, we needed this thing to get picked up promptly at six. CJ was out there for it was out here in Emeryville when we were getting this thing picked up. Um, so I, I, I we kind of this, left this off the t- large two. thing. It must be said, it's quite heavy. It's large.
5: Not really a convenient uh, physical set of dimensions for something that heavy either.
0: Over two thousand
6: pounds. Twenty. It's a cozy fit in the truck.
0: Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. That's one way to put it. Uh, that's one way to put it another way to put it is oh shit that's not gonna fit that is n- absolutely not gonna when they were when they were loading that thing i'm like there's not a chance that fits and uh amazingly it did fit they had to pull the tor back a little bit to get that thing to fit pre um, yeah, pre squish the foam in the bottom a little and <laughs> right so we great right, we go into the chamber um And uh, and what do we discover uh, in in the chamber? So get this And this. It should be said this is not like the kind of the garage testing facility in Austin. Um, The the barbecue may be worse in in Fremont, but boy, the the chamber is much better. So this is a a, a really uh, nicest chamber I have ever been in. Really nice chamber down there, and the thing that was super cool is they got this panel. I should take a photo of it. They have a panel, Eric. The thing that you pointed out to me, where you can dial up any country's kind of voltage and phase um, for to to test anything. It's like you know, how's this thing going to do in Japan, or how's it going to do? Yeah, it's a it's a giant matrix switch of power sources, which is just amazing. It was. It's really and so this and that's what so Arian dropped. They, or they totally like, wh- I'm sorry, which prefecture do you need, Adam, in terms of the, uh, uh no, the-
2: either one, 50 hertz, exactly. 60 hertz, whatever,
0: nice, <laughs> uh, they it, don't really, care. it really is remarkable. And it's, it's sitting there on, and that's the photo that Arnie has dropped into the chat, um, where we've got the, uh, this thing is on this giant turntable and now we need to figure out, all right, what, what do we see? And what are some of the things that that we see off the bat? So we see some, we see very little in the low end, which is
2: amazing, uh, because usually power supplies will emit in the like sub 250 megahertz range. And then, so we saw like remarkably nothing there, essentially. Uh, We saw clocks, so we saw some 100, what was it, uh, 200, 300 megahertz clocks, some 900 megahertz clocks, a 687 point something, something, something clock uh so we we saw a few clocks, but nothing was too bad if you were a little over the limit and then we went up into the high frequencies and saw some more clocks and more things like d d r or whatever uh but basically it's it like i've i've done e m c testing on large c t medical devices for fifteen years or so, and this is the most Clean system I've seen go in on a first run. Usually the the most impressive one I I saw was one where the uh the chain the chamber had to change the scale on the on the uh, receiver because it was too high. So they had to <laughs> they had to zoom out so they could measure a higher signal than they were used to seeing.
1: <laughs> I and that was it, a it.
2: that's that that's a not great. twenty megahertz based comb generator from a twenty megahertz clock. That was a that was an impressive wow. one. Uh, but that is impressive it and like that thing had some particular quirks to it It had big power and all that stuff and a big open frame motor Uh, but it was pretty noisy and this was remarkably not noisy in spite of the fact that it wasn't like faraday sealed or whatever but there were still things that i mean we failed the first time and it we found some found some things that we needed to work on and had
0: to go digging into those well so I I in particular I love the fact so we we have the 687.5 megahertz outlier everyone's trying to figure out okay what harmonic of what clock is is that um the uh one of the things that you said is like well listen let's actually uh make sure we get the rear doors we've got a cable backplane it's got rear doors let's get the rear doors closed and let's understand what the effect of that one of the things that, that is – and I, we, showed, I, we showed a video of you doing this, Eric, because I think it's so fascinating to watch. I mean, Adam, this is super physical. So one of the things that that Eric wanted is, like, I need to be able to see the output. I, I need to be able to see the kind of the frequency output while I'm manipulating the system. So I want to know, like, if I grab this cable bundle and if I move this cable bundle, like, what do I see with the spikes? If I grab the door this way – How does it change the spikes? Um, I mean, it really is, Adam, like, you got the old, like... Antenna? antenna, Totally antenna. I think this is, like, a total generational thing. This was, like... Tuning the ravagers. Tuning the the ravagers. You are absolutely tuning the ravagers. Like, no, right there. Stand there. No, no, no. Go back. Exactly. Right there. And So, okay, we just need to ship Eric with the rack standing on one leg, just like that, and then we're fine. Um, But one of the things that was interesting was that, so... If we close the rear doors, the 687 megahertz fre- 0.5 frequency, like that, that goes away. That spike goes away. But now there's a new spike at 72, that, I believe. All that low frequency that was so clean before it got real nasty, <laughs> right? And, and it that, turned
2: out that 72 ish megahertz is about a, I think it's a half wave resonator with our rear door dimensions. And so right. our rear door turned into a an antenna, which.
0: It, it, they are want to do they are want to do and i think the, so this is like one of these things and, and nathaniel you'd use the the kind of the, the uh, analogy of you know you've got kind of a this this ball that you're kind of squishing the water balloon that you're kind of squishing if you squish it over here you're going to get kind of some more water it's going to kind of come out in a different different spot and it this was definitely a very concrete example of that where it's like okay we've done this but now we've got this other thing that we need to go deal with um, and I the other kind of thing that highlighted for me is that whenever you see an Eric, obviously, you know, you, you've got uh, and and RFK and, and you've got much better kind of intuition for this, but anytime you see any outlier in any frequency, you've got to immediately think like, what is that wavelength? And that wavelength is how much and what does that correspond to? It's like, okay, that is, you know nine centimeters what do we have that's nine centimeters that this thing could be resonating with and so in and this case it, and it's like, is it
4: horizontal or vertically polarized because that tells you whether it's a horizontal or vertical uh, the opposite uh the like opening that it might come out of or or thing that is resonating at the at the antenna because the antenna rotates uh yeah there's a, a
2: the polarization of the wave and that tells you something about the the source that it came
0: from so it's a really neat debugging process. I mean, it's it, it it certainly has a lot in common with debugging that I've been a part of and seen, but it's it is also like very different. I mean, it's very, um, and it it just because it is so physical. But it was so much fun to watch. So us debug that. All right, so we discover the the we've got some um we know that the doors, and then so Eric, you got that uh, coming out of that. Um, we've like, okay, we, we've got too many emissions, but you've got an idea on the doors in particular. So w- what was the issue with the, with the doors?
2: Yeah. The doors weren't um, grounded along their length intentionally. Like there's a, you know, there's a ground strap that you have to have for safety, safety testing. But other than that, there's no requirements for m- multiple ground points. But if you have multiple connections between the door and back to the rack, It kind of detunes your antenna and it turns it into a higher frequency uh resonator and so the hope is that you get enough connection points such that it doesn't look like an antenna to any noise that may be in a frequency uh that would resonate it cause it to resonate and hopefully that doesn't mean that you turned it into a big faraday cage with like huge copper straps all over and whatever You don't want to turn it into a uh, complete
0: EMC chamber in itself if you don't have to, because that's expensive. Expensive, yeah. And it's, it can and be a little bit less likely. Yeah, exactly, hard to do, right. We want to avoid that for a bunch of reasons, but so.
6: Yeah, it makes your customers mad too. And and yeah. your repeatability drops once you ship it in the field. And so then you're, you know, like copper tape is awesome on day one, but like on day, you know, 497, it might not be so awesome. It
1: might not.
2: Yeah. And so you like, got to find gaskets or copper fingers or whatever uh, to to be able to make those connections. And the, the idea is like, okay, let's go in and let's try and make those connections in as many places as we need to to get things kind of behaving
0: as they should. And so this is where, and I, don't, I can't remember if you've talked about this before, but you know those, when you pull a drive, and you've got those little springy things on the side of the drive that are kind of evenly spaced. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So you know that that's for, that, that is for EMC compliance. No, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. That and, is, and they actually I always assumed that that was like, oh, this is to like make it snug.
2: Yeah, they're exceedingly <laughs> important. Yeah, they're supposed it's, to be.
4: It's for EMC and for, for ESD protection as well, mm-hmm. so, that you, so that you have a path and you might grab it and not zap it accidentally.
0: Yeah. But is that interesting? I mean, yeah, yeah, wow. like, you, you feel like you've, you've looked at those fingers, you know, I've, I feel yeah. like I, I've seen those fingers for my entire career and I just always, I just draw the wrong inference about what they're for. It's like, no, no, this yeah. is actually... Somebody has been in a cage with these, in a in a chamber with these at some point, and figured out like, oh God damn it, it's the action. We need to go get some fingers in there, sort of break that up. So yeah, so the, the, the there are definitely some workarounds to all this stuff. Um, I love coming out of the chamber. I the the next couple of days, Eric, you were up here in Emeryville, um, and you were actually uh, grinding off the paint on these. So you were. Out front, uh, I guess was that a what? What were you using for A power tool, obviously. Was that a sander? I'm yeah, not sure what that was. Uh,
2: yeah, I got an angle grinder. Went down. To grinder, we I'm like, but we don't have one of these. So I'll go get one and get the old angle grinder out and start grinding away all the metal. And the the idea was like, okay, I'm going to grind away everything, so then they don't have to worry about what part of the door is ground versus what isn't. And then you know, or Robert and the the other folks in the chamber can do it uh, more elegantly on the on the rack itself uh, so that they don't have to you know take the thing outside and grind the whole thing with an angle grinder Uh, they can use like a paint scraper or whatever to do surgical (laughs) surgical modifications of the rack
0: instead of you know the angry end of the angle grinder Um, and then meanwhile, um, RFK, you were back here in Emeryville just trying to figure out, okay, let me try to figure out some of the things we saw in the chamber. It's obviously noisier, but like, let me see if I, what I can figure out. And at some point you came up to me as like, what is two meters high? Uh, And I'm like, what is two meters high? You want (laughs) to describe that a little bit? The middle of the Sphinx here. Oh no, it is. And I feel like I have spent, I feel that like, I mean, we all have, like I've spent a lot of time in the physical proximity of this rack. And I've spent a lot of time and I'm like, what is two meters high? It's too <laughs> high for kind of a lot yeah. of the business in the in in the, the middle of the rack. It's too high for the switches. It's too high for the rectifiers. And RFK, what is what is two meters high rack? Well, if you it turns
3: out that the hinges on the doors are exactly about about two meters. And the antenna doesn't obviously go lower than a meter um, so you really don't you it would presumably also be at the bottom hinge you could probably find the signal strength like at very high at that point but with doors on um, really because you're breaking it up at these three points that we had created the easiest place for it to the, radiate out of is the top seam of the rack which would obviously be right at the top of the hinges and so the peak detection as you can see in our data well we didn't post our data but in our data. it it shows at two meters uh, that is the strongest point of the signal you know it's it's a very physical problem that you get to like go and look at the rack and realize in your head and you have to think about these things that are like just electromagnetic waves that are, are like you know going everywhere you kind of it makes it a more realizable 3d model when you can
0: look at it like that yeah it was really neat and um i did not i uh I, I did not guess the hinges. Um, I felt a little bit vindicated when I don't think I don't think Steve was guessing the hinges either. I don't think it would, everyone was struggling to guess the hinges, but it was, uh, of course, in in hindsight, makes sense. So we are, uh, and then the other thing that we that we knew that we had not yet done um, that we wanted to go experiment with is enabling what's called spread spectrum clocking. Um, and do you? Um, Eric, do you want to describe a little bit what SSC is?
2: Yeah, so spread spectrum clocking is a way of everything. Everything in a computer operates off of a clock, which is just a repetitive, synchronous, uh, very controlled uh, oscillation, and that that determines what what everything does in a, in a computer. So for a thing like PCI Express, there's a clock that's along with it uh, that is a hundred megahertz and usually that's 100 megahertz and it's sitting there blasting away at 100 megahertz plus or minus you know some handful of ppms and that's really bad for emc because that is a very very sharp uh sharp meaning very narrow bandwidth uh spike of energy and all the energy of that clock is contained within a very narrow bandwidth so in emc there's a certain There's a certain opening. It's like how how much you open your eyes on the receiver. And they open the receiver up to see about 120 kilohertz, if I remember right, of bandwidth. And that's where they measure the entire entire spectrum. So if you can make your clocks, uh, if you can spread the frequency of your clocks out more than 120 kilohertz, then the EMC chamber receiver won't measure as much energy at any one point uh, because basically the the chamber receiver is blind to it and it sounds kind of like cheating but it's actually uh it's a it's a reasonable thing to do because a lot of rf receivers have a fairly narrow bandwidth uh if they're if they're meant to operate at a specific frequency and so spreading out the energy uh not only reduces the chamber measurement but it also reduces the likelihood that you'll interfere
0: with something else and so you effectively uh, you're spreading the energy out and are you, you're effectively introducing a little bit of jitter in the clock. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah, so you're... it's absolutely controlled jitter.
2: Right. So usually jitter What's... is awful in communications, right. but right. more modern... Back in the old days, computers didn't have any of this stuff, and if you had spread spectrum, it just wouldn't work. Uh, ma- now computers are designed to have this because it's a, a quote, cheap and easy way for manufacturers to meet emission standards without having to do heroics on enclosures. And so basically you just take the energy that would have been at
0: that one frequency and you smear it across a bunch of frequencies. And yeah, so... I mean, it, it, to me, it's like, it's pretty clever. I mean, honestly, because you are, it, on the one hand, you're, you're introducing something or reintroducing something that we normally try to get out of a system, jitter. But by doing that, you are effectively, you're not dominating this precise frequency. You can actually just move yourself just enough to avoid... Uh, emitting a bunch of energy. It's not just for the past compliance. I mean, you are, you are emitting less energy at that particular spot. You are less likely to induce resonance in another part or what have you because you're spreading exactly. yourself up. So yeah, it's pretty neat. So we knew that we had, uh, th- there is, uh, it, as uh, uh, close followers of the company may recall, there is no bias in our system. We are doing our own lowest level system firmware um, all the way up with lowest level system software, host boot software. So we are uh, things like, Spread spectrum clocking, which would normally be either a bias tunable or would happen really, really uh, BIOS. I, I'm I'm being told that I'm I'm saying bias when I should be saying BIOS. Yes, the basic input output system that dates back to CPM. Um, the, it was a BIOS tunable, um, but uh, we th- we're responsible for implementing that ourselves. So we uh, implemented uh, SSC. We did. There's a, a, a you may have heard us talk about these kind of hidden messages, um, that these messages that need to be sent to other cores, hidden cores in the computer. And there's a message that you can send effectively on the AMD Milan that says, I want you to turn on SSC. Um, the good news is that that, that, that worked great on the Gimlets. Uh, the bad news is, Josh, you discovered that when we attach that to the switch, maybe not working so much. The, uh, it should be said that Josh, like the Shark issue, ended up once again being on the front lines of like, am I doing something wrong? Like, I just integrated this, I I pulled in this change and cranked it, and now I'm running it. It's like, it seems to work everywhere, but it's not working here on what we call the scrimlets, the gimlets that are immediately attached to to the switch, uh, to the sidecar, and Josh, I think that, uh, I think uh, everyone's like, oh, well, this Josh, this must be, you must have done something, you must have pulled something in incorrectly, but it's like... Nope, we have definitely some uh, a challenge there. I feel like this is a familiar feeling. Yes, exactly. Uh so we what we learned and we're still uh still debugging aspects of that issue, but what we did that definitely learned is that, that um SSC can be enabled on all the compute sleds and then we need to understand why and and how we need to not enable SSC or work around that on on these things that are attached to the switch. But actually this is one of these things where, well, actually, if you can enable it on 30 of the 32, that actually is a, that, that's, a that's a big difference. Um, so that can actually um, reduce our emissions quite a bit. Um, and so we wanted to go do that. We wanted to go explore these things with the door. Um, I think, what, what were some of the other things we, um, it, it, some of the other, I think that those, those are the, certainly the two big ones that we wanted to go uh, revalidate when we got back into the chamber. Um, well, yeah, there was a bunch of stuff that we did.
3: We, we looked at, I mean, there was like a, about a seven point list of things to do. But, you know, when you go into the chamber, you kind of start off with the things that you know you should start with, like very big changes, and then kind of work as it comes from there, because you'll just find new stuff. So we ended up doing a lot of stuff that was like tangentially related to the list, but not explicitly. Like we know exactly what we need to do when we go in there. That's just I, I've never like been in that situation in a chamber where it's like, oh yeah, I do all these things and it's perfectly fixed. It's like no, we went in there for like another you know seventy two hours, right? And, the,
0: and it yeah, also want to
4: understand how each of these things individually behaves, and then how they combine. And um, and some of them you have a little bit more confidence in. Some of them you have less confidence in. Some of them we needed to do some physical work, like we needed to scrape off
3: more paint and like put gasket in and you know, so yeah i mean yeah, process it, it, and also you want to do things you you want to go in there and make changes in ways that your mechanical team will be able to reproduce and also in a way that will not piss them off when you tell them what you ask, want them to do <laughs> because i you, you intent- can totally be a dick and like make the change really difficult and they will hate you
0: forever right Right. so we and it should also be said that at the same time we're also doing our safety compliance and a safety on the one hand we're a little bit less concerned about i would say because we're not um that there's no reason to believe that we would have major redesign for safety um on the other hand uh there's safety is obviously important and we need to make sure that we, we don't have, uh, I mean, they're going to be testing exposed surfaces and testing for ESD, and there's a bunch of things they're going to be doing. They're going we, to... We, we hit the thing with a sack of doorknobs was the part
5: that really felt. We, it's like is One doorknob, it's a
2: calibrated doorknob.
5: It's a calibrated <laughs> doorknob. ISO standard doorknob? Is that, is that really safety, or is that masochism? Like, what, what's I mean, going the,
6: on? The tip test was fun, too. Oh,
0: right, yeah, they the wanted to do a test tip was... test. And they're going to, like, we're going to do a tip test. And, yeah, Nathana, what were the details on that? They had the, they, they want to, like, tip it over. And they wanted to, oh, they, they, don't, they, they I said mean, you they to we put,
4: over. well, yeah, they, they, we were <laughs> going to tip it to 10 degrees. And we were, they said, like, oh, just put two people behind it to catch it if it tips over. And we were <laughs> like, whoa, oh, no, 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 That's not going to, not happening because, you know, it's, it doesn't look so good if you have to explain to your customer that two people died in in, in the process of right. getting this thing to market. <laughs> Well, and uh, Arian, it I weighs loved...
5: like twenty-three hundred pounds, right? I mean,
0: yes, yes, yeah. it, it is scary, um, and certainly when that thing if that thing got tipped, it would get very scary. Um, Arian, I loved your line when I went down there to the, the safety testing house uh, down uh, in Menlo Park. you I mean, you looked at me just just looked me right in the eyes. You're like, you know, for a place dedicated to safety, you can die here, and I was kind of <laughs> laughing, and you're like, no, no I'm serious. Like watch yourself. I'm Like okay, but actually, he, he
1: means was, you like, specifically, Brian. I
0: mean, I, uh, I mean, are there me Brian, fans yes. without guards on them? I there, Well, and in particular, like the whip that they had us using was definitely like, uh, uh, oh, yeah.
2: I yeah, it was. Uh, the sa- safety testing is not the place where you want people who are in, who are uh, not comfortable with working with dangerous things. <laughs> which is like
0: i mean i guess it makes sense i mean it's yeah, they're, like are
2: trying to induce failures at some level and that
0: that right. has inherent risk to it right yeah uh but it was so it, it, i and i think that the it, josh i have to tell you that emotionally it really did feel like that they were going to drop a sack of doorknobs on it it's just like just because we you know, spent so here much in time the, the, here in the ministry of safety office like <laughs> right exactly gonna, the ministry of safety is going to launch doorknobs against this thing uh, but it is, as Eric says, very, it's a very precise test, and we don't anticipate it, or didn't anticipate it. Uh, it, 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 may, it may cause a, a facial laceration, but don't anticipate it uh, actually inhibiting the, the, the operation of the rack. Uh, the, the, and then, Arnie, you guys were also down there doing a bunch of, uh, a bunch of thermal stuff. Where, where yeah, you, so we had to I, we had to
4: prove that if 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 things get if fans get blocked that we don't overheat in such a way that uh, components get so hot that you might um like burn someone in a you know that that um, bodily harm might occur. So there we have to set up some tests for thermal uh, testing. And I'm trying to find the pictures of that because there was some. Uh, it, was, it, was it was pretty funny. Well, because pretty pr- hilarious. Yeah.
0: In particular, that you are trying to get this thing to overheat, which is I, now like, look, you know, like we've built a complicated system. We've got a series of trade offs. We've got a lot of thermal margin in this thing. When we, uh, w- we, one of the very first decisions we made was around the height of the uh, so each of these sleds is designed to be tall, is tall enough, 100 millimeters tall, to contain within it an 80 millimeter fan. It has six 80 millimeter fans in it. Those fans move a ton of air. They, at very low power, when they're only at 2,000 RPM, they are moving enough air to effectively keep the system cool, unless it's doing an obscene amount of work, in which case they may go up to 3K RPM. Um, The fans themselves can go up to 12K RPM, um, but they will draw a lot more power. And when Aryan was down there, like, trying, I mean, aryan you, you all are trying to, like, find every intake for this thing. Because those fans are going to fight you. And they're going to find ways to get air into that thing to cool the, to cool the CPU. Yeah, um, so
4: there's, there's two scenarios in particular we ran. One with the input blocked. So basically the fan is starved from fresh air. I posted photos in the, in the chat. Um, uh, so that's that's the first one you see with a bunch of cardboard on the front of this thing. And then uh, the second test was um, where we would block the backside of the of the, the rack and we really tried to close it up, basically to trap hot air afterwards in the rack. Um, and that in particular was kind of funny because we, we put these cardboard pieces on the inside of the doors, turning the doors effectively into really like wing surfaces effectively. (laughs) And we started off with a little bit of tape. Like the doors were sort of closed with a a, a bit of extra tape to sort of keep them closed. And as the system starts ramping up because the heat heat is getting trapped and the fans continue going and going and going, the doors basically get blown open. So we had to put these really like heavy steel plates that are used to take things in and out of the EMC chamber. So we put those against the, the doors and, and then in order to keep the rest, in order to keep those from further tipping and to keep them from sliding, we put a bunch of like heavy weights in front of it. And that that was just enough to sort of keep the doors from closing. And then we had to find all the holes by which air was escaping, uh, like the top and the sides. And um, yeah, the thing was definitely fighting us all the way. And it, in in the end, um, all the hot air would come out on the bottom because that that was pretty much the only like real opening that was left. Um, which was allowed for us per the test standards because our rack is standing on a is expected to stand on a you know concrete floor or whatever, uh, right. not on 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 soft bedding, and therefore we don't have to close up the the bottom. And but if you were to hold your hand on the bottom of the rack as it was running, you know, 15 or 16 kilowatts of hot air coming out the bottom, that that was getting pretty warm. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah and the, the rack could be deceptive because these are these big fans they they are able to move air without so the rack is very quiet if you're cu- accustomed to a data center one of the first things you will notice physically when you're around the rack is it's much quieter and you think is that thing on and then you go to the back and you just feel this heat just dropping off the back you're like okay no it's definitely on there's a lot of heat back here and uh, yeah, you put all that heat in one spot, in And as you said, I, I kind of like the idea of the rack on soft bedding, though. I kind of feel like we need that. I guess that's going to be disqualified by our our safety compliance. It's not going to allow for a two inch shag carpet. <laughs> two, two <laughs> into, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Good but, luck um, rolling that thing
4: over that shag carpet without ripping no. up the carpet.
5: Do you, do I you remember when wheel? we were rolling it when we were rolling it into the rack?
4: and the
5: whole rack came to a shuddering
4: stop
0: on a, like, millimeter-and-a-half lip on the crate. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot of computers, it turns out. And the, the, the other thing that was funny, is as Ryan was kind of reporting back from this down to the, the, the safety facility, and, it, you know, we're kind of... The, the, the rest of Oxide's kind of taking bets about, you know, this kind of, like, thermal margin versus power margin, and, we, like, those fans, if they're all cranked we will draw a lot more power and indeed we ended up like for one of those tests we ended up actually uh the rectifier and it was like actually sorry you've reached your limit here and and we are we designed this thing to go maximum to what 19 kw which is basically what it hit um with the, the the fans absolutely cranking the cubicle fans doing their job so that was uh that w- that was fun um so safety went i think broadly uh th- that was uh largely vindicating went well um the, but we, now we need to get back in the chamber. I'm getting slightly out of order because we did the, kind of finish up that safety last week. But then the uh, RFK, you and Arian had a couple of very late, night, late nights in there where you're figuring out uh, exactly what, how to eliminate some of these yeah, spikes. Yeah, what is the
4: minimal set of changes we can make in order to pass compliance and not upset our uh, mechanical engineering team? As,
3: uh,
0: well, as well, we went minimal, say. that's yeah. sure. <laughs> what were some of the changes that we, that we had to make and, and what was the, the final result? So,
3: yeah, like, going back a little bit, like, we're, we're worried about things becoming antenna,
0: right? And
3: the doors, obviously, antenna, big doors. Um, and as you cut them up, they become different types of antenna. So you can ground them in different ways and um, they radiate in different ways, but less, you know, once they're grounded. So that was one change. Like, definitely make sure these doors have good ground contact. Okay. Um, but we don't always want to like make people have doors, right? That's not cool. Uh, customers don't want that, especially the front door. And so we're like, all right, well, you know, we can't put the front door on all the time. So let's try to just make sure we don't have to pass and like require our customers to do that. Um, so we put the back doors on. Back doors are fine. And then you do uh, 30 megahertz up to one gigahertz. And you know, once we had done a series of other changes like SSC, there's like potential for some gasketing that we can do in order to like further bring down this like broadband noise that we have. Um, but we can pass without it. Great, cool. Um, moving into higher frequency. So that's one gig up to eight in our case. And they do it's five times the maximum clock frequency. Um, so that puts us at 8 gigahertz, but we can see all the way up to 18 in our test, um, which so it's like, eh, I don't really care about the rest of this, even though, like, but we have the data for it. So, you know, we can make improvements later as we like
0: or have time for, which is probably going to be never. And so so where, this, where does the kind of the standard stop? At what frequency did the standard stop? Well, it's five times the maximum frequency. Uh, okay, I got you. So it depends on the product. Okay, yeah, it depends it. on the product entirely. So.
3: Interesting. Okay, so once you get beyond the fifth harmonic, harmonic,
0: they're like, we actually, once you get beyond the fifth harmonic, like we just assume that the amount of energy that you that you have up there is just not going to be material. Uh, Yeah, for
3: that for that operating frequency that you're running at, and I mean it changes, and it's like different for different types of products too. So I mean, obviously there are radios that operate like way higher than that, Um, and so, and then it'll also be dependent upon like. How you're transmitting time on air, like stuff like that. But that, that this is like a whole other class of like problems that we do not have to worry about um, because we do not have intentional radiators and we're not a radio product. Um, so, like, yay, good. This would be way worse if it was. Um, yeah. yeah. The uh, so we get in there. We're working at uh, one gig to eight gig, and what we're going to see. Um, what we're going to see is that the same things that we kind of saw at the low frequency range, the other components that operate with those that are errant are going to be errant in the high frequency range. And lo and behold, um, all of the drives in the front of the rack scream like none other because, of course, they do. It's PCIe, and Spread Spectrum does a little bit, but not enough. So what happens is you, we have to try to pass. We don't have the front door on the rack. If you put the front door on the rack, it would keep all that stuff in. Because we grounded that but we can't do that so uh we're just under the limit for nine or for like at uh eight gigahertz um so we're like oh okay maybe we'll pass um and you know if these things are not exactly uh they if the, sh- if the clocks shift around then they'll do these they'll look for peak detection after they scan once and it'll try to find like the maximum of the frequency that it found first. And if the clocks move around, obviously like that maximum is going to come down. But if it's something constant, um, like, you know, PCIe clocks, it's not going to go anywhere. Actually, it's going to get worse. Um, because it's going to go, it, it finds some local thing that it found and then it'll then search around in that area for the most powerful sig- uh, instance of that signal. Yeah. And so maximize that, the emission of that signal. Um, yeah, cause it's just, it's just looking around and like all the, the dimensions that it can to try to find that spot. And so, you know, we had like maybe one DB of margin and it was like, Oh man, I don't know if it's going to work. We come back, we go, and we're going to, we, we step out of the chamber and let it run because it takes about five minutes to find this. And we come back a little bit later and, Oh man, we, we, it found it. It sure did. because we, we are so close. I mean, just Unbelievably close to the margin, but we passed, so it doesn't matter. You know, um, i had some courses like that in college, right? It's like we are, we are. I mean, 0.08 dB away from not passing, but we do, and we know the things that will mitigate this in its entirety, which is also the the better finding coming out of that. And they don't care. It's like you got to pass, like, and you know what your solutions are, and you write that up in your report. And then you submit that to the FCC, and that's generally okay. And you know, like that is not uncommon for well, everybody has to go through and do this. Yeah, and some people I'm- have like, products in field that they'll they'll already have sold it, and right. then they'll have to go back and do EMC testing, and they'll fail something. Oh man! Oh man! Then you got to recall all that stuff and go fix a bunch of things. So, like you know, even though we are getting through just barely like this is way better than like and especially for the size of the system like, way better than the size of the
0: system yeah well, this anybody. is one of the things I think that, that, that we really appreciate best really in all of this is that the that when you have these when you're selling by the one you or the two you when you're selling kind of the traditional server it's it's, it's an easier problem Frankly, I mean, there's just it, there's just a lot less that's there. Yeah, just yeah. just
4: running one of our machines in the chamber, we're passing actually with a pretty decent margin. But if you have oh, thirty two of them,
0: then
3: then things become a lot more difficult. It's a combined right. effect for sure. And I mean, like no one has to like. I mean, if you're building like a CT or something, sure you're going and but like that's that's all one contained system. But we're talking about the rack is like one built up of thirty two individual. But should be tested individually things and like no one no one goes and does that not at this so much yeah, like should ridiculous. be but normally
4: they are individually tested and they pick their exact sort of test configurations right, they, they, they want to test them in
3: exactly you know? they'll go pick like they know that like some of these different fives are like the worst style for this system that they're going to test and they'll right. put that together and then they'll just say everything after that is okay because they're like well this is probably the worst and then they don't, right. they just like sign a DOC and they're like, well, we conform with everybody, but they didn't actually test it. No, like we know everything that goes into this rack in the way that it's supposed to, and we're doing it all at once together and it works and we pass. which it's is awesome. Yeah. Pretty great.
0: And no one died in a tipping test and we didn't. Well, well, so my,
5: my thing is like when we ship this rack down there, I feel like it wheeled out of the box and like it. You know, like 32 machines booted up to Unix and the switches configured themselves. And there was like, it was, and then you like hit it with these doorknobs and it, for some reason it's <laughs> like it's caught on yeah. fire and it's full of shag carpet. Like, how is it going to be when it comes back?
2: It, well, it, it just, the, the thing that's amazing is it just works. Like, there's no, oh crap, this one didn't work this time, reboot it. So I'm like, no, no, it just came up and it worked.
4: Well, uh, uh, Josh, to answer your question, how is it going to come back? Well, in having gone with bits over angle many, many ground and, off of it, no, there's definitely a lot of paint missing. But then, uh, in, in going in and out of the chamber many times, we had to go over ramps and things. So yeah, the wheels are a little bit squeaky now. So uh, I'm sorry, we, we we may have broken it a little bit.
0: Yeah, the oh, wheels. Josh. Josh, Josh, I kind of share your like, and I think this is how you tell like we really truly do love computers because like, why would you hurt the computer? Don't hurt the computer. And it's, like the first one that we made too, <laughs> right? It's exact. It's exact, but it's
4: uh, it adds um, character. That's what it does. When it, it when, does when we have it on display in some museum, it
0: that, that's it will be that's right will add character. Rack one, we hardly knew you. <laughs> we did, well, and, and the, but I also feel, and Nathaniel, I believe your line was I don't know that I've ever seen software come together later for something and work as well in the chamber. Every, so, every assignment that I did at university was finished at two
5: o'clock, uh, the morning before it was due. So that's just how we roll.
6: I mean, we've, like, I've, you know, Eric and I spent a lot of time in EMC chambers over the years, and it's not uncommon for, uh, you to have, the software issues in there or like you know in in certain systems you want to run them in a mode that like stresses them and like those are often the like hard modes to be reliable and so you know you find like oh you know the yeah we ran this test eight months ago but like this no one does this except for an emc and so all the bits rotted and you know it doesn't work again and so it was really awesome to see the system like you know show up in this in there and it just worked and it was it was really nice like the the team could then focus on the thing they needed to do instead of going and chasing software problems so yeah we, kudos we to, to the whole team for that
4: we had to tweak it a little bit for like you know when we started running things like one of the things that we hadn't quite anticipated was we, we had built a stress test for various components and then uh, um, try to put a load on the on the ssds and we just start the stress test and basically the entire machine just went out for lunch like the thing was just not responsive anymore it was running just it wasn't wasn't making any progress because it was very busy doing what you asked it to do we spent we we spun up so many threads per ssd and that that the system was just like done so we had to
6: that's the improved version that wasn't
0: erasing all of it. I own. was going yeah, right. yes. That was after we erased a bunch of stuff. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we, we did have at. Uh, it wasn't two in the morning, Josh. When did that happen? Well, that's oh, that's but, why it took
5: until two in the morning. That's like, why it, so it took until about, two in the morning.
0: Like,
5: like quarter to midnight or like half midnight <laughs> right. or something. Like because we because we wanted to turn the lights off and do the all the lights flashing on the front thing, which which did was pretty work. cool. That did and happen. It was cool. And also it ate all the partition tables at the same
0: time, which was very sad. Like, don't turn this off. <laughs> right. We'll Funny it was, we so uh, we can fix it. And then Josh back in there with the Kludge.2s that we talked about in our small boards, the- uh, it, and The jumper cables? Go, going in with exactly, armed with like Kludge.2s in each hand, like you were defibrillating the rack. Uh, it was like a combination of like jumper cables and, and a defibrillator. It was really a great look um as we're going around getting it unfortunately though we got got the rack back on its feet and uh yeah we're not going to plow the boot drives anymore um but it was a uh honestly great effort all around um really educational you know i think over and over again through this journey we've learned why other folks you know because I, I think the question that we get is like why are not other people making a rack scale computer and the answer is like it's hard but th- this is some real concrete detail Of why it's hard um, is because it is actually hard to get this whole thing together and treat it as a coherent unit. And compliance is, you know, something we had heard a lot about about it being a challenge, and it was a challenge. But it was a challenge we were up to, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I think RK, you know, you, I, I love the way you said it about like we know the next time we go into a chamber, there are a whole bunch of mechanical changes that we're going to be making to make sure that like our margins not going to be that tight the next time. We're going to get going to get much Better margin and Arian. I know you were you were kind of looking at some of the other engineering teams that were down there who'd been teams at much more established companies and um and just admiring kind of how they go into compliance. And we've got a lot that we learned. I think we're going to be uh we're we're only going to improve over time. But uh, boy, this was uh, this was a lot of fun and uh, a lot of work from a lot of folks. A lot of late nights, a lot of third shifts, a lot of early mornings. Um and a rack that damn near didn't, almost didn't fit in its truck. But um it was uh great work all around and really uh, very important because without this compliance, we cannot sell a product. So for those folks who have been asking, when are you gonna ship? Like, well, you've you've you gotta actually have the 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 compliance in order to be able to ship. You gotta have safety compliance, you gotta actually have the FCC compliance. So um we are uh the runways in sight still plenty of challenges ahead as always but um the uh w- we are looking forward to getting this thing uh exactly what folks pointed out in the chat we are going to ship it as soon as we leak we can and now we've got the legal green light regulatory green light um and uh looking forward to getting these things out there um well, technically in... we don't have the green light yet
4: we just have the reports in hand that will get us the green lights but we still have to defend it. <clears throat> But fair. You know, what, are
5: you, what are you from the government? Jesus, yeah, exactly. what a what a oh, buzzkill! If
4: you're if you're a,
5: if you you're know, a cop, I...
0: you have to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, it's a in FCC deep mole. Uh, yes, we've got to defend it, and we we will defend it. That the the point the zero eight dB.
3: I will oh yeah, have. we absolutely can. We just uh, this is
0: this is a discoverable medium. We, That's well. right.
3: I was talking to Tom yesterday, and it was like, you know, arguing that point zero eight is like getting a D in a class, and then having to go to your professor and be like, "No, it is worth that one point."
0: I get those <laughs> Listen, credit hours. I, I, it's uh, in in the the letters S and S and C, which is satisfactory, no credit for a course you're not taking for a grade. It's the S that's important. Um, but. And it, Again, terrific work. I know that a lot of startups uh, really struggle with compliance for understandable reasons because it's uh, it's expensive and it's laborious and it's it's a lot of time and energy. But uh, great work all around, and uh, looking forward to getting it out there, um, Adam. I'm sure. You, this has been. I mean, very eye opening for me. I feel I I am never going to look at a consumer a product the same way again. <laughs>
1: Yeah, see that little FCC sticker on it now means a whole lot more.
4: Oh, the it, fact that your TV turns on every time you ask it to—oh, mo- like most of the time it turns most on. Of yeah. Most of the time,
0: most of the time. Yeah, it's, when it does it, it's, it's, it's small miracle. Like how yeah, exactly how well this stuff works on average? It's a—it's amazing. All right, well, hey thanks everyone thank you uh eric and and arian nathaniel rfk uh um thank you all this and since cj oh i should actually would just in closing because cj had the drop he was uh listening earlier uh he did have some some points of clarification that i feel are are important um that i had had pulled up a moment ago let me go pull those up so on uh first and foremost um on the uh the actual barbecue uh, i he believes that the barbecue you're referring to is uh nickelthwaite um i'm probably mispronouncing that um but uh in general just as good but franklin's brisket really does live up to the hype just be sure to order a couple of weeks ahead to skip the line cj says I definitely recommend that on the number of shark fins it was um 1136 shark shark fins Total rework in five days. Um, so, uh, and as he points out, a huge shout out to Steve for finding a courier for these things. Who was totally sketchy. Uh, that courier was that was dodgy. But Steve, you did it. They got there and back. Uh, and then also, uh, CJ says a shout out to Matt Keeter as well uh, for advising him to put more money on the table with EMC Chambers in the Bay Area ahead of time. So that really saved our butts on on the schedule. So. <coughs> CJ, C.J. was, uh, and the, uh, didn't join us up here on stage, but I think everyone here would agree that uh, C.J. was absolutely essential on both pre-compliance and compliance. So it really does take a village. Um, and we got CJ,
3: it. we appreciate you.
0: Yeah, C.J., legend.
3: Getting those times in the chamber, whoa, shit. That was incredible. And the Franklins is amazing.
0: All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everyone.
1: Take care. Cheers.